Hey, campers. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, camper. Hi, Casey. Good morning. Hey, you're, are you going with us too? Are you going to camp with us? Oh, I'm so excited. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you were all in worship this morning. I hope you have a wonderful 4th of July celebration. And there are a few of you I will get to celebrate with because church camp starts tomorrow. And we got four of the campers up here who are going with us tomorrow. Um, we got three counselors from our church and eight kiddos. I'm very excited. But I have to tell you, I've looked at the forecast. It's going to be hot. And so I have just come back from vacation in Maine. It was like 70 degrees. I'm going to be channeling my inner Maine all week. But I wanted to tell you a little bit about my vacation. Oh, it was wonderful. I have never been to Maine before. And they have a national park up there, which is kind of why we wanted to go there. But then we have this wonderful family in our church who's been there for like every summer for the past 20 years. And they gave us all these wonderful notes about where to go and what to see and where to stay. And we had a wonderful time. Now, we flew into Boston, Massachusetts. And when I got there, I was like, what are we going to do for dinner? I have never been to Boston. And we went to a place where we can kind of stretch our legs together a little bit. And I actually sent a message to Pastor Valerie's daughter, who goes to school up there. And I told her where we were. I said, where can I take the family for dinner? And she told us a place we could walk to. And they had the most delicious pizza. Had that really thin crust. So I had to show the kids how to fold it in half to eat it, you know, and everything. It was fun. And it was this tiny little place. And there's only one big table in this place. So, you know, you're sitting next to people you don't know. And the guy next to us, after a while, he goes, are you from Texas? <laughs> we said, yes. He, and you know what? He was from Houston. And he wanted to know what we were doing there. So we told him about going to Maine. And he told us, oh, when you're there, you should go see this and that and be sure and... If you're driving through Portland, Maine, you should go eat at this restaurant. Well, we were going to be there the next day. So the next day we went to eat at this restaurant in Portland. It had a funny name. It was called Duck Fat. <laughs> they cook. They're, they're not French fries. They're Belgian fries and duck fat. They grill their paninis with duck fat. It was delicious. Oh, my goodness. It was yummy. And then when we got up a little further, we, you know, you're on, the, you're on the coast. Now, the beach up there doesn't look like the beach in Texas or even the beach in California. It's all boulders and rocks, and the forest goes right up to the ocean. But instead of everybody having a fishing pole in their garage like they might in Texas, everybody has these big lobster traps in their yard, just regular people. And they just go put them in the ocean with lobster buoys and catch lobsters and crabs. So every day... We ate lobster, and we ate crab cakes, and we had fried oysters. Oh, my goodness. We had all, it was delicious. I ate all the stuff that I don't get to eat in Dallas. It was wonderful. But then the last day, we drove and drove and drove and drove all the way back to the airport to start to fly home. And we needed to get a little dinner before we left. So we looked at what food was available in the airport. And you know what I really, really, really wanted to eat that I hadn't had all week? A hamburger. <laughs> so there was this yummy diner 
that actually cooked the hamburgers when you ordered them. I had a bacon cheeseburger. It was delicious. And then when we came home to our house, all I can think of is, what do I want to eat at home that I haven't gotten to eat at home all week? And I'm going to camp next week, and while I love smiley face mashed potatoes, I'm not going to eat at home this week either. And so, um, let's see, Dad cooked a brisket one day, got our beef fixed. I didn't realize I was such a carnivore. And we had pasta one night. It was good. It was good to be home and to eat at home. And then yesterday, I was thinking, tomorrow we're going to church. And then I thought, it's July 3rd. It's the first Sunday of July in church. It's going to be Communion Sunday. I get to come to church with all of you and with all of you. And guess what? We get to eat together. We get to break bread together. And we get to share a meal together back here at home. And this summer, you're going to have all kinds of adventures. Some of them you've already had. But when we come to this place, When we come home here, we get to eat with this family and with Jesus, with God, with us. Oh, and that meal, for me, for me, is one of those times that I can just breathe really deep and go, "Ah, I'm home. So I am glad and thankful to be home with you at this table today. Can we give thanks? And say, dear God, thank you for all the journeys, for all the meals, for our home, for this home, for this table, for this bread and cup. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We are concluding our Summer at the Movies series today with A Little Princes. Um, Has anybody here seen that movie? One, two, three... Okay, so this might be this might be new to some folks. Okay, oh, Heather, right? Yeah, this might be new to some folks. Um, read the book. Okay, this is a little prince is written by Frances Hodgson Burnett. She also wrote The Secret Garden, um, and this uh, movie, of course, is based on the book, and it was um, released in uh, 1995. Um, and so as we um, Prepare um, to view this clip. I want us to go to one of our touchstones in Scripture um, to uh, help guide us, and we'll talk about that for a little bit um, as we prepare to watch this um, brief clip. So we are going back to the beginning. We are in Genesis 1, and we are going to begin reading at verse 26. Listen for the Word of God. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. This scripture has got so much packed in it in these five verses. We could sit in here if the air conditioning was on. We could sit in here for at least a three-hour Bible study considering some of the different things that are packed in this scripture. There's this whole notion of um, our role in creation. What does it mean to have dominion? And then that word subdue. We could talk about the history of the translation of that word in scripture. Did you also notice... That humankind's created vegetarian, every green plant for food, right? There is so much in this text, but what we are going to zero in on is the notion of being created in the image of God. In these few verses, that is mentioned three times, three times in five verses. And there's um, a $50 seminary word that is used to describe um, this, and it's a Latin phrase, amago dei, the image of God. And according to this text in Genesis, every human being that is created bears imago dei within, the image of the divine within. And as long as the scriptures have existed There has been discussion about what that means. What does that mean to bear the divine image within? Does it set us apart from creation, which has um, actually been posited for a very long time, that it somehow makes us uh, uniquely different from the rest of creation? Um, Later theologians, uh, recent theologians have tended to say, though, that having the image of God within us actually ties us more deeply to creation. Um, And so I, I want us to consider this for a little bit about what that means, because the clip um, that we're going to watch from The Little Prince's um, 
uh, I think, illustrates what it means to have the image of God within us and what it means in our relationships with others. Um, I have learned a lot about Imago Dei um, from Holocaust witness Elie Wiesel, who died yesterday. Wiesel is perhaps one of the most influential people in my own life and in my own learning. As I've been a student of Holocaust um, studies, I've read memoirs, I've been a um, docent at the Dallas Holocaust Center. Um, and Wiesel uh, wrote and spoke about his experience as a teenager of being um, in the concentration camp at Auschwitz and then in Buchenwald and lost his family there. Um, but he doesn't, he hasn't spent his life talking about just that. He has thought about and written about and spoken about what are the implications of such a horrific event for how we deal with each other as humans. And so if we take a look at the Holocaust, at those horrific events, and this machinery of Nazi Germany, which was bent, its reason for being was to destroy a whole other set of people. Now, think about the image of God that is within. And what that, those kinds of circumstances might do, or how the image of God within each person might be affected or compromised, perhaps. Or can we also raise the question if can horrific events and horrific conditions affect the image of God that is within each of us? William Wordsworth, in his long poem, Ode on Intimations of Immortality, has a beautiful line that I have remembered since high school. I have never forgotten this line. And in this poem, Wordsworth says, Our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. In other words, when we are born, we begin living our lives, and the longer that we live our lives, the more we forget from whom we came and who we belong to. We are not just each unto ourselves, are we? And so we are born and we live our lives and we respond to circumstances and experiences, some joyful, some painful, and this personality begins to build around us. And yet, personality, it can act like a bandage which protects us. It can also become a concrete bunker, can it not? And so it seems to me that for the people who live the life of discipleship, part of our work, a lot of our work, is remembering who we are and what that means and how we relate to each other. 
Jesus of Nazareth comes to remind us what it means to be a child of God, shows us how to be a child of God, relating in beautiful communion with each other. And that's what we celebrate at this table on Communion Sundays. It's a relationship that we have been called into not only with God, but with each other and what that means. Ellie Wiesel's experience as a teenager showed in an egregious way what one human being or what one set of human beings can do against another to try to obliterate their existence and therefore the image of God that is within them. Consider our own campaign season right now. (laughs) Recognition of the image of God in each other seems to be in short supply, does it not? And the thing is, as we heard read in the first scripture that Anne read from Ephesians, Jesus came to call all into peace. To call all into relationship. Recognizing the imago dei in each other. And the thing is, Eldred and I were talking between services. I really struggle with how to talk about this because when we're talking about the image of God in each other, it really is beyond words, is it not? Consider when you meet someone for the first time and there's this connection and you feel like you've known them all your life. There's this immediate comfort and it's like, man, where did that come from? And it's almost like divine essence to divine essence has connected. But as soon as we try to control it, it's gone. Think about the times when you might be in line at the grocery store and you have this sparkling little conversation with a person who's ahead of you, which seems to be imbued with so much compassion and relational give and take. And it's like, wow, that person's a stranger. That sense of divine essence connecting to the other. The words associated with this work that we are called to. And Father Richard Rohr says that Jesus did not come to give us a ticket to heaven. Jesus came to show us how to be more fully human. How to remember that we are all children of God, whether we be from across the globe or here. The words that are associated with this kind of relational recognition are words that, in our culture, quite frankly, sound a little weak. Recognition. Awareness. Humility. The words that we use in our culture so frequently when we talk about how we are in life and how we act in life are often words of control. 
to bring about a particular outcome or a set of events. We seek to exert our own dominion over events. But living with divine essence requires awareness. And as soon as we are aware, and if we seek to control it, the awareness is gone. And yet, and yet, we are continually called to do the work to remember whose we are and who we are. And then to relate to each other in that awareness across all the differences that we share. So in the clip that we are about to see, Sarah who was raised in India under the Raj, whose mother died when she was in childbirth, and then her father, um, he enlisted in World War I to fight in the trenches, and so he took Sarah to New York to register her in the boarding school that her mother had gone to when she was a child. And so as Sarah begins the school year there and enthralls all the other little girls with stories about India, she is a privileged child because her father is a man of means, and so, of course, he can pay the full tuition for her. But then word comes that he has died in battle, And all of a sudden, the privilege that Sarah had has been taken from her. And she gets moved up onto the attic to live in the attic with the little servant girl who is also very poor. And these two clean up after everybody else. They don't have enough to eat. They don't have enough bedclothes to keep them warm on cold nights. They don't have enough warm clothes to wear. But they do have each other. And um, the scene that we are going to watch, it's a very cold night. And Sarah begins sharing her memories of India. So let's take a look at that clip. What is it, little mouse? Are you a prisoner too? Is it ever this cold where you come from? No. Tell me about it, Sarah. Tell me again about India. India. Tell me. Well, the air is so hot there, you can almost taste it. Coconuts. No, it's more like spices, really. Curry and saffron. What else? Tigers sleep under trees, and elephants cool themselves in the lakes. Warm wind blows through the fields, and the spirits ride it. Singing as they look down on us, and their voices echo through the mountains. And the sky is all different colors, 
peacock's tail. recognition that each and every one of us that has ever walked, do walk, will walk this globe, have the Imago Dei within us beyond difference, beyond varied perspectives, beyond war. It is within each and every one of us. My friends, that is pure grace. Amen. Amen.